Uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of uh, 1 Chronicles, and uh, you'll hear me maybe refer today to Chronicles, because uh, like Samuel and Kings, Chronicles was also uh, one book in its original composition, and and was split up, most likely probably due to scroll length. But uh, so, but when I say chronicles today, it's 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 kind of including both. So, um, let me pray with us as we begin here. God, thanks for your goodness to us. Thanks for your faithfulness. Thanks for the truths that we just sang about. You are truly faithful forever, perfect in love. God, you're sovereign. And. Uh, God, make us just mindful of that. It's so easy to get discouraged, um, sometimes due to our own weaknesses, our own failures, sometimes due to the, just the, the culture around us and the discouraging things we see there. Um, God, continue to help us just to lift our eyes to you, lift our eyes to our God, lift our eyes to the heavens. The, Psalmist says, "From whence come our help? How cometh our help? Our help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth, God, the God you, who never slumber, who never sleep. God, continue to direct our attention to you. May we draw encouragement and hope and peace from that. And I pray now, as we look at these uh, these books here, uh, Book of Chronicles, God, that we'd be encouraged and challenged." Uh, leaving here better equipped to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You'll see, I, I titled the sermon, A New Hope. I said to Wendy when I gave it to her, I said, the culturally astute among us will, will note that that is a, uh, a Star Wars reference. And I was not disappointed. About 15 minutes after the email went out, I got an email back from Jody Bruno going, you better talk about Star Wars. So, uh, yeah, right? Um, but uh, hope, that, that's ultimately what the, the book of, of Chronicles is, is about. Now here's the thing, you get to Chronicles, and especially as it's ordered in our, in our English Bibles, you get to Chronicles and you have to work at discerning its purpose. Because if you don't do that and you just read through Samuel and Kings to get to Chronicles, you're kind of like, why is this here? Um, it is like the same thing, only like light. It's, it's, it's like a summary version, right? It's almost like some... I don't know, like some Jewish kid created it as spark notes for Samuel and Kings, so his buddies wouldn't have to read it all for Torah school. I don't know, you know. But but that, that's it's like why why is it here? And then, and then you read the first nine chapters, and then you're really asking like why is this here? Because <laughs> it's it's kind of let's be honest, a little boring, right? It's all these names and these these lists, and so so you have to work at getting to the uh, the purpose. What is the purpose of this book? All right, we'll delve into that in just a second. Let me uh, read, I want to read two verses to you. One from 1 Chronicles, or passage, one passage from 1 Chronicles, one passage from 2 Chronicles. Chronicles. It'll kind of give you at least a sense in an overview of the book. So here you go. This is from 1 Chronicles uh, 17. Uh, This is God speaking to David. This is the Lord speaking to David. After David said, "Uh, Lord, I want to build a temple for you. This was God's response. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house 
in my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. And then this from 2 Chronicles. When I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. In other words, God's saying, if I do these things to punish you for your disobedience, know this. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. This place being the temple, the threshing floor of Aruna. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So what's the purpose of Chronicles? One thing we can look at that gives us a clue is its position in the Hebrew Old Testament. Now the English Old Testament, and again, it's fine, it's not that one's better than the other, but the English Old Testament has tended to arrange the books in more of a chronological order. Okay, so that's why you get chronicles in the place you get it after kings. Um, but the Hebrew Bible places chronicles at the end. It is the last book of the Hebrew Old Testament. It gives us a clue as to its purpose. Chronicles is a post-exilic book. Okay, it's a post-exilic book. So uh, over the past couple weeks, Jeff's talked about Samuel and Kings, and the, the purpose of Samuel and Kings is to answer the question, why the exile? So you get all this dirt and all this filth, and you get a really heavy dose of Israel's failures and the failures of her kings and the prophets and the priesthood, and you see, oh, okay, <laughs> that's why they ended up in exile. Okay? That was the purpose. Chronicles was given to a people returning to Judah. A people who were, who were beaten down, who were discouraged. They were defeated. There was low morale, low motivation. They had been humiliated and disgraced. In essence, they had been all but, but wiped out. And, and Judah now was some backwater province in the Persian kingdom. On top of that, the loss of their Davidic king had stripped them of their identity. Okay? The destruction of the glorious city, Jerusalem, had helped strip them of their identity. The destruction of the thing that they were so proud of, the Solomonic Temple, was gone, destroyed. Right? And you read Ezra and Nehemiah, and we don't have time to look into that today, but if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, a long chronicles, you get a sense that this was a struggling people. Their, their morale was low. The walls around Jerusalem were destroyed. And the question that, that's being asked is, can we rebuild? Because this place was it's a hard place to live. You ever been in, a, in, a, in an abandoned place or a place that like, used to be cool but now it stinks? Um, I, I, I found some pictures on the internet. This is, uh, if you Google it, it's fascinating. Um, abandoned Olympic sites or old Olympic sites. And uh, I came up with a few pictures. There's, there's tons of them. And it's sad. I mean, I'm an Olympic junkie. Okay, I love the Olympics. The Olympics come on. I love the opening ceremonies and, and uh, the fireworks and the parades and the flags. And you see all the venues and they're... And they're shiny, and they're sparkly, and they're, they're, it's beautiful, right? And um, 
And then uh, some of these countries, after the Olympics leaves, they, they don't have the money, the infrastructure to, to maintain it. And so the one there on the left, the biggest one, that's the, uh, that's the, the beach volleyball venue in Athens. So not too long ago, and we were downstairs for service, and I asked Stephanie Dows, and I said, so Stephanie, would you like to play volleyball on that? She's like, no. Um, you know, it's, uh, the top right-hand corner, that's the uh, swimming venue from Rio. Um, real recent. You, you can't see the picture. They're so small, but that water's kind of green, and I'm pretty sure there's something with three heads swimming in it. So, uh, but, uh, right? And then I don't even know the bottom right-hand corner, and I know I apologize. It's really small, but um, it's like the, what's left. It looked like a fountain, and there's just something what's left of the Olympic rings, and there's some graffiti there, and there's a bus and a building in the background with graffiti on it, and, um, you know, just, just kind of sad. You know, and you like, you go to these places, you're like, oh, man, Athens, man, I remember the Athens Olympics, like that was huge. They were returning to their birthplace, and, and how cool is that? And these places, and you kind of walk, and it's like, wow, this is depressing. This is what the people were walking back into in, in Jerusalem. Some of them, not, not a lot, but some of them had remembered Solomon's temple. Some of them had, had been there before, and, 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 and it's like, wow, remember what we, we used to be? Remember what we used to have? And so, Chronicles is, is answering the question, who, who are we? Can, can we begin again? Can we rebuild? Who are we? And what are we supposed to do with this? Mark Dever writes uh, this, Chronicles appears to have emerged at the very end, or shortly after the exile, and was written to be placed into the hands of the exiles, either on their way back to Judah, or freshly returned. Chronicles was given to a discouraged people, helping them to reestablish their identity. It's a formative work for a formative time. And I wonder as we start into this, did we ever feel like that? You ever feel like these returnees? Can I start over? Maybe I've, I've made some mistakes as a dad, as a, as a husband, as a wife, you know, as a parent. I failed again. My marriage is struggling. I, I, um, man, I had some failure here. That, you know, you're feeling. Can, can, I, can I start over again? Can I begin again? Feel the, the pressures of our culture around us, which is very clear there in Ezra and Nehemiah. That pressure that was on these people from the outward. Right, we feel that sometimes. God, can I can I keep going? Can I keep can I keep my faith strong in this culture? Is, is, it, is it even possible? Uh, the, the wrong seems so strong. The uh, evil and wickedness, uh, liberal, it seems to get all the airplay and, and has all the influence. Can, can we exist here? Can, can, can we still be strong in, in, in this all? In, in Chronicles, it gives us a resounding yes. Yes, yes you can. How does it do that? It starts by doing this for the people. It reestablishes identity. Chronicles reestablishes identity, right? So uh, chapters 1 through 9, it's this lengthy genealogy and list. And again, you read it, you can't even pronounce half the names. You can't even pronounce 80% of the names or whatever. And you're like, oh, you know, why, is, why is this here? But what it's doing, it's telling a story. And, and that's how they use, and the genealogies are so important in Scripture. Genealogies tell a story. And Chronicles is using genealogies and lists to tell Israel's story. Their status is being legitimized through their ancestry. The, 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 this list in, in Chronicles goes all the way back to Adam. Chronicles cr- covers more, more time than any other book in the entire Bible. 
from Adam all the way to Cyrus's decree. It goes all the way back to, to Adam. And then as you look at it, read it carefully, you start to notice some themes that it's emphasizing the Davidic line and the kingly line, and it's emphasizing the priesthood and this, this people of God and the 12 tribes, and it's, and it's reminding them who they are as the people of God. So th- this significance of genealogy could be lost on us a little bit today, right? I mean, if I were to ask, like, you know, like Luke, you're the son of, you know, and, and then he's the son of and the son of, eventually we're going to go back about, what, two or three Luke, and you're going to not know who you're the son of, right? I mean, we just, we don't, like, Tim, can you go back five sons of? And no, no, see? Uh, we just, we, we don't necessarily have that, and that's fine, but... Um, but that was really significant, and that's how they found their identity. And, and, um, and we understand this a little bit, right? Sometimes we have a family member who uh, maybe had done something significant. Like, you know, I hear people say, like, oh, I had a, a relative who came over on the Mayflower. Or a rel-. Like, we, we, we kind of get that a little bit. Like, we kind of have some pride in that, right? I, I feel a little bit with my, uh, my grandpa. You know, I'm like, oh, my grandpa was on uh, Normandy the second day of the invasion. Like, he was like, you know, and I, so I look back at that part of my, uh, my genealogy, and I take some pride in that. And that, that's kind of what's going on here. This is what you're a part of. It's reestablishing their identity. Look at the names that are here. This is who you are. Be encouraged by that, okay? Next, it's, it's establish, reestablishing your identity uh, through the resettlement, recounting the resettlement of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's resettlement helps bring back their identity. Look at this verse here in the lists of 9.3, 1 Chronicles 9.3. Those from Judah, from Benjamin, from Ephraim, and Manasseh who lived in Jerusalem were, and then it goes on and lists some of these post-exilic people living in Jerusalem. Why is this significant? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, you look at this list, right? Judah and Benjamin, southern tribes. Ephraim and Manasseh, northern tribes. Once again, in the post-exilic time, you have people from both kingdoms reestablishing themselves in Jerusalem. This was significant. This is echoing back to, to the, the united monarchy. Like This is the way it is. Reestablished, the people of God reestablished in Jerusalem, north and south, unified, back in the city that was meant to be yours. And later on in Chronicles, it recounts, David's taking of Jerusalem. And remember how incredible that was. Jerusalem was unconquerable. It was a Jebusite citadel. No one could take it. It was so impregnable in its location. And David took it. And that's recounted in Chronicles. And what Chronicles are screaming at the people is that, yes, this is your city. Your king had taken this city. It belongs to you. You are home. You belong here. You belong here. This is your identity. We were watching, my wife and I were watching the movie uh, Queen of Cotway the other day. Anyone seen the uh, movie Queen of Cotway? It's, um, it's a Disney movie. It's about this, uh, this girl from the slums of Cotway, which is uh, in Uganda. And she was, a, she was a chess prodigy. And she was kind of discovered, and, and uh, she ends up getting into these competitions and competes and becomes a master. It's a, it's a fascinating story. But one of the things she has to work through um, is as she's competing, of course she's competing against all these kids who are from the, the elite classes of, of society, and she just can't seem to get past that. And she says this couple, like, I don't belong, I don't belong. And, um, and you see she starts to think that, like uh, just kind of self-defeating. In, in one tournament she's there, and her coach could see this starting to, to, to work in her mind again, and he knows, and he stands up, and I found out chess is a lot like tennis, like you're not allowed to cheer during a chess tournament, like who, that's why hockey's so much better, like you can, yeah, you know, um, but her coach stands up, and he gets in trouble for it, but he's upset, and he's like, you belong here, you belong here, and all of a sudden she's like, 
you know, when she goes in. That's what Chronicles is doing to the people of God. You belong here. Jerusalem is yours. Your city. Yeah, it's a mess now, but it's a special place. Your home. Your home, right? The positive and glorious aspects of Israel's history restore identity and dignity. The positive and glorious aspects of Israel's history restore identity and dignity. Excuse me. <coughs> Here's the thing um, that you'll notice as you read Samuel Kings and compare it to Chronicles. Chronicles does speak of Israel's sin and disobedience and the consequences. But one of the things that notably absent is a lot of the negative of Kings and Samuel is not present in Chronicles. Let me give you a glaring example. This is going to be really small. It's really small. Sorry. I, I can't even. Um, on the right here. Okay, This is very familiar to us. We just covered this. 2 Samuel 11. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And then we know how the story goes, right? One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. The man sent someone to find out about her, right? We know how the story goes. It's Bathsheba. He goes, he commits adultery with her. It gets, as he gets pregnant, he ends up killing Uriah, her husband, to cover it up. It's awful, right? Note the same account from Chronicles. And you're going to know it. It reads almost identical at the beginning. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, Joab led out the armed forces. He laid waste the land of Ammonites and went to Rabbah and besieged it. But David remained in Jerusalem, right? So far, almost word for word. But look what comes next. Joab attacked Rabbah and left it in ruins. David took the crown from the head of the king. Its weight was found to be a talent of gold, and it was set upon uh, with precious stones, and it was placed on David's head. And it goes on to talk about the plunder he took. What is notably absent from the Chronicles account? The Bathsheba account. It's not there. Again, it's not the focus of Chronicles. They knew of David's sin. That's not the point here. The point was recasting Chronicles, recasting their identity. You go on in in just a a couple chapters, uh, a couple verses actually in in, in chapter 20. And there's this recounting of these these multiple victories of of Israel's warriors over warriors from Gath. Gath, does that sound familiar to anybody? Who was from Gath? Goliath right? Goliath is recounting these victories of these warriors from Gath. You know why? Recasting identity. Israel, this is who you are. You're the nation of giant slayers. You have a glorious past, a powerful past, a strong past. Israel is a nation that through their God slew giants. This is an identity thing. 2 Chronicles 9, you get a chance, check out 2 Chronicles 9. It, it, the whole chapter is about the glory and splendor of Solomon. Dude was loaded. You look, like, look at like, the, the amount of gold he took in per year and then kind of like convert it from talents to, to, to pounds and then look at like, the daily rate, like what today's like, cost of gold is. I mean, it's, it's astounding. And that was just gold. And then you look at his building projects and all the things that he brought in. And he was so renowned and so famous that the Queen of Sheba makes a trip from Africa just to come visit. She's like, we've heard of you, and I had to come see if it was real. Right? Solomon's splendor described. You know what's notably missing from the account of Solomon's reign? There's no mention of his wives. No mention of his, his sin and his heart falling away and worshiping other gods. It's not there. Again, 
recasting um, in, in a positive way. Extended space, you'll notice as you read it, is given to the good kings like Hezekiah, Josiah, Jehoshaphat, and on and on and on. Uh, they get a lot of ink in, in Chronicles. And here's another telltale thing, and you'll notice it becomes apparent right away. The northern, the northern kingdom is virtually ignored in Chronicles. So remember back in Second, uh, Second Kings, you kind of have this back and forth with here's the Judah, Judean king and here's the, uh, here's the evil northern king and then here's the Judean king and here's the evil northern king and here's Ahab and there's a lot of space. Ahab, the northern kingdom is basically ignored except as it pertains to the southern kingdom on a couple of occasions. It's not the point. We're not talking about how bad it was. We're not answering the question why the exile. We're reestablishing identity. Okay? So it has a positive note recounting the glory of their past. Um, and then next here, the returnees are reconnected with the temple location, the threshing floor of Aruna. This reminds them of their special relationship to God. Now here, I just went through all this trouble, right, to explain to you how that Chronicles doesn't focus on the sin of the individuals as much as Samuel and Kings does, but uh, except for one significant one. David's census, Chronicles recounts the sinful practice, the sinful act that David had in counting his men. Remember that at the end of, of um, the book there where he, he counted his men and God said, okay, you have three choices here as far as the punishment is going to be. So you have to ask the question, if, if this is the tone of Chronicles and we're avoiding these, uh, the sin of Bathsheba and the downfall of Solomon, why in the world is the sin of, of uh, numbering the people present in Chronicles? Why did the chronicler include that? Well, here's why. If I had to ask you to read the book of Chronicles and tell me to write down three or four words that you say uh, are, are major themes there, one of the words that you would write down would be temple. You'd write down temple. It becomes so obvious as you read it. The temple is a major focus, right? Remember when the per- temple was purchased? David's sin directly led to the purchase of the thre- threshing floor of Aruna because that's how that thing kind of finalized and kind of finished, that, 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 that David went up and he bought that and he offered sacrifices to the Lord and the plague went away. And, uh, and that's where the temple was going to be built. It's, it's temple history. So again, what's going on here in Chronicles is God is reestablishing the identity of his people. They're reconnected with this temple location. And even though the building is gone, even though the Babylonians had destroyed it, God is saying the place is still there. And remember, I have a special place here. Remember that passage we read? My, my eyes will never leave this place. I am here, established forever. And the people returning, uh, discouraged and downtrodden and beaten up, they needed to remind, be reminded they do have a special relationship with God, that God does, in fact, live here. God is, in fact, with us. We sang it, right? He has not forgotten us. God is here. Zion is still there. The temple threshing floor is still there. We remember. We remember how that was acquired. We remember the promises God made. Here's the thing. This is why this is important. I think one of the primary things that Satan loves to attack is this whole thing of identity. He loves to attack our identity. He loves to discourage us. You're not really a child of God. You've sinned too many times. You've screwed up too many times. Sometimes he gets us to do this by comparing ourselves with other people. Oh, look at you. You're not, as, you're not as holy as Jim. You're not as faithful to Jim. Like, you know, like, he's a real child of God. What are you? You know, like, oh. Or like, look at, man, there's like super mom. Like, you know, I see her Facebook posts, and like, look what she does, you know, and I'm a loser, you know, and, uh, and, and, and we lose sight of our identity. The other thing he does is, is if, if he loses that battle of our identity, 
okay, fine, you know, you're claiming being a child of God, fine. Then he likes to make us forget. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. So the quote-unquote boring part of the book, connecting back, Israel, remember, you're part of this story. Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, you're in the story. You're part of this story. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to live for things lesser, right? He wants us to live for, you know, he wants us to get caught up in finding our identity and our jobs or our sports or in relationships or academic success. Or, and none of those things are bad. But, but he wants us to lose sight. No, you, were, you have purpose. You were saved. You have something bigger that, you, that, that you're living for. So put your name in that list. It sounds ridiculous, right? But put your name in that list. Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, Paul, Peter, Jesus, the Apostle John, the Church Fathers, Charles Spurgeon, Tim Simon, Pete Anderson. What my name doesn't belong in it, it does. Purpose, mission. You're part of the same mission, the same purpose. This is your identity. This is what marks you. You live for that. It was so significant for me. Some of you heard the story of um, when I went on my uh, sabbatical. And, uh, and going back, and it was, it was so meaningful to me. I, I had not been back to this place since I graduated from, from, uh, from since college, middle of my college years. And a house there in the middle, that's where I grew up. And uh, that auditorium, the top right-hand corner, is the very first place I ever preached. That pulpit right there. South Swansea, Massachusetts. There's pictures of Boston and, and pictures of Plymouth. And um, again, not all spiritual things, but it, I, I went back and it was kind of this cool, like, yeah, this is, this is where I was from. This is, this is where I grew. This is where God really, in a lot of ways, made me who I am. Uh, seafood was certainly a part of that. Uh, it's a spiritual exercise right there. Um, right? But yeah, the beach and, and all of that, the mountains of New Hampshire, like, th- this is, uh, it, it was just cool, me reconnecting with my past and then the people. Who helped form it? Pastor Bill down there in the bottom left-hand corner. Pastor Bill and Connie Sargent, uh, the pastor who played floor, street hockey with me on the parking lot, um, who invested in me, and, and the, the people up on the right, the Suzes and the Fletchers, who were my family, um, sitting at a table with them going, like, these are the people who I would not be who I am without, without them, and, and, and reestablishing that identity for me. That was huge. It reminded me of some things. You, know, you sit in the auditorium that where, where God worked in your life to, to, to bring you to himself, and and that baptize you. Like that was, that's a powerful thing, remembering those things, right? Remember who you are, identity. Chronicles gives direction. Chronicles gives, gives direction. There, there is an instructive aspect to Chronicles. First point, faithfulness and dependence upon God results in blessing. Faithfulness and dependence upon God results in blessing. This is the point of Chronicles. All these, these positive things of, of, of Samuel or of Saul, um, Solomon and and David and, and the, the, the kings, those, those times of, of thriving and everything, all were connected to times of obedience and dependence upon God. That's the lesson. Even in the genealogies at the beginning, you see these editorial comments pop up, like this group of people here, these tribes, they were faithful to God, and, and God blessed them. This, this line uh, in Second Chronicles, again, like, yeah, you want to be in a place of blessing, remain dependent upon God, which some of the kings did not do. This is a great one. This is Jehoshaphat, our God. Will you not judge them? Right, They're facing this huge army. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I've prayed that a gazillion times. This is a great prayer. (laughs) 
But that's dependence. The chronicler is telling us, this is the heart, this is the posture you must take. Dependence upon God, reliance on Him. Right? Conversely, unfaithfulness to God ends in disgrace and judgment. Unfaithfulness to God ends in disgrace and judgment. Look at 1 Chronicles 9.1 here. It's a key verse. All Israel is listed in the genealogies recorded in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. They were taken captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. Because of their unfaithfulness. The wickedness of Ahaz and Manasseh and Ammon. They're, they're in Chronicles and they stand there as a warning. Like if you, you cannot rebuild if you ignore God's ways. You cannot rebuild if your heart stays hard. And look at these kings. Their, their reigns ended in disgrace and in dishonor. Okay? Um, ignoring and neglecting God's correction and instruction leads to ruin. God's law must be kept. Can I start again? Can I go home again? Can I begin again? Yes, you can. But in order to do that, and again, Nehemiah and Ezra did this to the people as they came back. They kept the word of God before the people. It has to remain central. One of the tragic things there is when Josiah came and put forth his reforms that, that, that were amazing and awesome, it was tragic the way the word of God, what sparked all that is because they were repairing the temple that had fallen into disrepair. And then it said they found a copy of the Word of God, the law that had been neglected. Had been neglected. And I think that's more the thing that we need to worry about, too. That's instructive for us, right? Um, it's not the big sins of Manasseh. Right? Last I knew, no one in our church, I hope, is not sacrificing their children to Molech. No? Okay. It's good. Um, but aren't we more apt to neglect the Word of God. Uh, guilty, right? It's destructive. Look at, look at the way it ends. Such a tragic statement. Towards the end of Second Chronicles here, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians. They continued to ignore the word of God. And the warning is there. You do that over and over and over again. Finally, God says, fine, there's no remedy. It has to be centered. You can rebuild. You can go home again. But you've got to keep the word of God central. Here's another thing, another lesson, another way Chronicles is instructive. A strong, loyal Self-sacrificing community is necessary for success. I was amazed at how much space was given in Chronicles, almost two chapters worth, to David's mighty men and his, his, his volunteer warriors. David's mighty men in a volunteer war, almost two whole chapters. Here's a couple passages of Scripture that give you insight into the mentality of these supporting uh, actors in the, in the story. These were the chiefs of David's mighty warriors. They, together with all Israel, gave his kingship strong support to extend it over the whole land as the Lord had promised. There's another verse that captures their spirit. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over all Israel. I love this one here, 1 Chronicles 12.32. The warriors from Issachar. They were men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. I think this is instructive. 
I think what's going on here, part of what's going on here is, is the chronicler is saying to these people, yes, you're living in a discouraging time. And in order to succeed, and in order to rebuild, and in order to be successful here, you're going to have to do it together. And you see this, Nehemiah calls the people to this in the rebuilding of the wall. You're going to have to have this mentality. You get the sense from these passages that David is not David without his mighty men. David is not as great as he is if he didn't have those loyal supporters, those volunteers who said, we're with you. I tell you, this, this translates really well. Application-wise to us today. The work of God, the work of this church, um, it's dependent on mighty men and women committed to the cause People willing to volunteer. People willing to be self-sacrificing. To pitch in. Right? And, and too, too often in churches, uh, it's, it's, it's the few. And, and, and the work ministry is dependent on the few and on the, 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 the pastors. And, and, and it, you can't, we can't do it. Our ministries, uh, the ministries of myself and Jeff, Matt, be so much more effective if we didn't have to spend part of our, our, our elder meetings and, and part of our staff meetings like worrying about like what are we going to do with our children's ministry because we don't have enough volunteers. You know, our command is to devote ourselves to the preaching of the word and prayer, but when people are lazy and, and, and don't commit to serving in different areas, we have to devote energy there, and it's, and it's frustrating because it keeps us from really devoting to the areas we should be. We're the mighty men, right? That, that's what's required. People willing to sacrifice. People willing to give. By the way, if you want to help Matt out in children's ministry, he's right down here in the front. He'll talk to you afterwards. But that's, it's so key. It's so important. Where is that? God will respond to his people when they acknowledge and repent of their sin. This is... Um, this is instructive. Deal with sin the right way. Saul never dealt with his sin the right way. David did. Acknowledging it. Don't run from it. Don't belittle it. Don't dodge it. Deal with your sin the right way. We're going to sin. The issue wasn't that Israel sinned. The, Israel's that, the issue is that Israel persisted in their sin. But God responds to his people when they turn we put that passage up there at the beginning, right? If my people will humble themselves and acknowledge their sin and turn, I'll hear them and I'll heal. Can you go home again? Yes, because of this promise right here. God brings healing. These people sitting there in post-exilic times in the ruins of their city are going, God can heal this. God can heal this. In fact, it's really cool when you see this, this, this response the prayer is in 2 Chronicles 6. God's response is in 2 Chronicles 7. After that, this whole thing of God's people repenting and God responding, it plays out through the narrative. Right away, I believe it's in chapter 8, Rehoboam, who has made some really bad choices. But Rehoboam had made some bad choices, put himself, and there's, there's an army coming in going to le- level him, and, and, and he repents. And God says, ah, they humbled themselves, they repented, I'll, I'll rescue you from this. And it wasn't just empty words. You can begin again. Because God hears from heaven and he, he heals. Okay. Chronicles awakens covenant faith. 
Chronicles awakens covenant faith. It was meant to reawaken the people's sense of, of their worship. The Levites, priests, musicians, gatekeepers, and other officials who are responsible for overseeing Israel's worship in the temple are a significant point of emphasis. There is a whole chapter on just the temple musicians. A whole chapter. They're all drummers, Jim. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, a whole chapter on the musicians. Wow, why? On gatekeepers. On the people who took care of the material of the temple. Why? Because it's worship. David's song in 1 Chronicles 16 reflects the heart and the perspective that categorizes true covenant faith. I wish we had time to read it. Read it this afternoon. This is at the heart of this point right here. You have this heart, people. and Your faith will be reignited and reawakened. That heart that David had. Read David's song. It gives you a hint. The temple emphasis is meant to reorient the people to their spiritual heritage. Okay? Temple, we've already kind of talked about this, right? Um, the moving of the ark into the temple, the descending fire of God upon the sacrifice, the filling of the temple, the glory of God would remind them of their special relationship with God. You're supposed to sit there and like, man, they've heard the stories. I remember hearing the stories when the ark came and Solomon prayed and the fire came down from God and devoured the sacrifice and the glory of God filled this place. We do have a unique and special relationship with God. And listen, that's us today. If you sit here and you're in Christ, your faith may have grown cold. You may be sitting in the desolation that's been caused by your sin. But guess what? What happened in the past when God came down and made you alive again and, 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 and reanimated you and gave you that excitement and gave you that passion for him, Like it's still there. It's still within your grasp. That same God is there and you can, you can begin again. You can have that over again. And this is to create that longing there. Reignite that worship. Reignite that relationship with me. It's been there. You're still my people. I'm still your God. Let's have this again, right? Chronicles recounts past times of spiritual awakening and revival to encourage people toward the same. Again, it's the same thing. Chronicles is going, going, look, there's times of sin. There's times when we mess up. But look, here's some examples. When the people humbled themselves and prayed, there was reform and there was renewal and there was blessing again. It is possible. Satan's going to sit here and he's going to tell you, it's not possible. Your days of blessing are over. You've drifted too far. And it's just not true. And this is an awesome one. The combined Passover celebrations under Hezekiah and Josiah. I love this one right here. In these two instances, these kings invited people from the north to come down, and the Passover was celebrated in Jerusalem again. During these kings' reigns. The first time it had happened since Solomon's reign. North and south, it was echoing back to this unified time of the kingdom, celebrating Passover in Jerusalem. Again, reigniting in them like, People of God. It's kind of like us. Remember, like during, uh, during uh, the whole virtual garbage show we've had to do. And, you know, like, remember when we used to worship together and eat together? And then, like, like, we miss that. Like, we like, get it. it it's, it's coming back. You can have that again. It's creating that. And lastly, Chronicles gives hope. Chronicles gives hope. We've already talked about the covenant promise to David. One of the things that makes its way into the list at the beginning, it's real subtle and you kind of miss it. It's not a whole lot of fanfare. It's pretty short, but there's this list. 
And it's, it's something along the lines of the, the descendants of David who returned to Jerusalem. Somewhere there in 1 through 9. I can't remember where it is. But it, um, it's an interesting notation, isn't it? They're not reigning. They're not on the throne. But what the chronicler is telling us, he says, hey, just so you know, tuck this information away. The line of David is, is, a, is alive and well. The line of David has actually returned to Zion. Tuck that away. You couple that with the hope there of the promise. The Davidic king is going to reign. Church, brothers and sisters, the Davidic king is going to reign on a throne. And it's coming. God vindicates his people. First Chronicles 19 is this great story of, of the people being shamed. Uh, uh, David had sent messengers and, and they had been shamed. And then God says, I'll take care of that for you. What a great message to a people who had been embarrassed and, and belittled the way the returnees had been. Oh, no, 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 God's keeping track. God vindicates his people. I think that's a great message for us to hear today as well, right? Again, in a culture and in a world where we feel like the negative messages are so strong, uh, the evils of culture, they get all the attention, they get all the news, they have all the influence, it's all over the news feed, and we stand up and try to put our voice out there, and we feel so overwhelmed, and sometimes we feel so belittled, and like, no one's listening, this doesn't matter, evil is winning, and God says, no, I will vindicate my people. They will answer to me. I'll take care of you. You just keep trusting me. Right? Reform is the theme throughout Chronicles. It is possible to come back. We've talked about that. If they turn, I will heal. We've talked about that. And I love this here, the last point. The exile is not the end of the story. The exile is not the end of the story. Listen to the way Chronicles ends. Remember, again, keeping in mind, in the Hebrew text, these are the last words of the Hebrew Old Testament. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judea. Any of his people among you, they go up, and may the Lord their God be with them. Spencer, why don't you come up as we get ready to close here. Do you see how awesome this is? Chronicles begins with a command in order to build a temple. Chronicles ends with an order to build a temple. And really the way that this comes across in Hebrew, it's almost an incomplete sentence. Go build a temple. And any of his people among you who may go up and may the Lord their God be with them, dot, dot, dot. Someone put it this way, Chronicles is a story in search of an ending. 400 years later, you flip to Matthew, you start with a genealogy that links back to a genealogy. And there's a temple, not built by human hands, but there's a temple being built in Jerusalem. This time it's Jesus, the Son of God. Right? Hope, exile is not the end. Will you be part of the story? The story in search of an ending. There's a temple. You can be part of the, the mission. You can be part of it. You can begin again. You have everything you need. Will you be one of the ones who take part in it? Or we stay in the dust, defeated?
That's the challenge Chronicles leaves us with.